everybody. Welcome back to Words of the Weary podcast, where we discuss books in the Bible to enlighten, encourage, and equip the weary soul. It is Serena and Kim here back today talking through the book What Love Is by Kelly Minter, and it is a Bible study book through the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we are on session three of this Bible study book, and it is covering 1st John 2, 18 through 29, uh, all the way through 1st John 3, up to verse 18. And so it is a lengthier passage, but we're going to go ahead and start with that scripture Give us a good frame of reference for what we're going to talk about today and just kind of touch on some of the main things that stood out to us. And so I'm going to start off in 1 John 2, verse 18, which says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then 1 John 3 starts with, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning is also practicing lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 
For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So like I said, that's a lengthier passage, but there's so much good within that passage. And we do not have time to touch on everything, nor do I feel like we can cover it as well as Kelly Minter does. And so that's why we recommend everyone go out and pick up your own copy of the book that we're covering, What Love Is. And so you can kind of dive deeper into all the content here. But one thing that did stand out to me from this reading this week is chapter two, verses 20 and 21. And John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. And on page 81, Kelly talks about how this anointing in the original language was the word chrisma. And this idea of anointing goes back to the Old Testament, and it's like the anointing that David received when he was going to become king. And we can read other Old Testament examples of anointing, and Kelly points out that it was always an anointing for someone to be set apart for a sacred use. And she says on page 80, the unique elements of the anointing John speaks of is that this chrisma isn't oil from a place or a bottle, but an anointing from Jesus himself. The moment we come into saving relationship with Jesus, he literally anoints or consecrates us. When we begin our walk with Jesus, we accept him as our Lord and Savior of our life. We are immersed for the forgiveness of sins and we receive the Holy Spirit. And that is the process of being anointed by Christ. And then we are therefore set apart for a sacred work. Kelly says that John includes this in his letter to the church because those who he mentions here who were antichrists, which antichrists are are just those who are opposed to Jesus and his teachings, which is what John says here within the scripture. But those antichrists, the ones who have gone out from among them, were Gnostics, who they believed that they were receiving a new anointing, a new chrisma that was more enlightened, and they were trying to lead people astray. So John is writing this to remind the church of that special anointing that they already have. He says, you already know it. You were anointed and received the knowledge of Christ, which is truth. And anyone who was teaching contrary to that was not speaking the truth. He once again warns them not to be misled into thinking that they were missing out on some deeper knowledge or some deeper beliefs. And he's reminding them of that beautiful anointing that they've already received from Jesus. And this is something that can be so applicable to the church today as well. And I like how Kelly points out on page 81, she says, 
This means a lot to me right now in the internet age where we're recipients of limitless opinions, new theologies, progressive ideas, and doctrines. We can see what spiritual niches and worldviews are trending, and it's easy to suddenly think we're missing out on some special chrisma, that this new group or that smart or thoughtful tribe or this pristine author have finally figured it all out. Because of new enlightenment, we're led to believe that the orthodox truths of scripture are antiquated or have been misinterpreted for thousands of years. And this is why I think it's so important here, like she's saying, to not forget what John mentions in 1 John 2 verses 26 through 27, where he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. In these moments where we can be tempted to start to fall prey to these new theologies and new teachings that are out there, we have to remind ourselves of the anointing that we have received from the beginning and allow that anointing, that Holy Spirit, the word of God, which should be written on our hearts to teach us and lead us in paths of truth. That is how we can abide in him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus is speaking about how God has given us a helper, which is that Holy Spirit that we received in our anointing. And in John 14, verse 17, Jesus says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And when we focus on this reminder that John is giving to the church here in 1 John, it helps us to draw strength from the Holy Spirit and to stand for truth against these new worldviews and doctrines that are being pushed today, and to focus on abiding in our anointing, our election to be set apart for a sacred use. And so I really appreciated how she broke down that word anointing and helped me to understand that this is a word that we can find in the Old Testament that is talking about this being set apart for a sacred purpose. I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we go day to day and live out that spirit and and strive to abide in him. Serena, you were talking about the word anointing stood out to you. And what stood out to me is the word to know, K-N-O-W, not N-O. And I was actually doing my own little study outside of this book, and I was reading a book called The Bible from 30,000 Feet. And in that, it brought to my attention that in the book of 1 John, it actually says the word no over 30 times. I think it's 38 times total. It says the word no. And that brought me to 1 John 3, 16 through 18. And it says... This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. This scripture is so important because when it begins, it talks, it says, I, we know. And so it is so important because 
John is not saying, I guess, or we guess, or we feel, or, or, or even I think Jesus is saying he knows he is saying this because he has full faithfulness and confidence in the Lord that this is true. We are the church and we are to help others and to be the gifts to one another. We are to do the work God has blessed us with and not just talk about it. I don't know how many times I have meant to send a card or a meal or just something I wanted to do and I just hadn't done it. I've talked about it and I said I was going to do it, but I didn't faithfully stay in the process of doing this. And this is exactly what John is talking about here when he says in verse 18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Sometimes we can get into this woe is me, the mentality of not thinking of others. We can get fixed on our needs and not the needs of others in the church. John points out that Jesus laid his life down for others. This got me thinking of John 3.16, which goes along, I think, well with 1 John 3.16. And most people know this verse. This is a, a quoted verse quite often for even non-believers. They, they know John 3.16. And it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And both 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16 let us know that Jesus is the ultimate gift. That got me thinking, how can I be a gift to others in the church? And I thought of Romans 12.6-8, and I thought of that to help us understand some of the gifts that we do to serve the church. And it says, we have different gifts according to grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy is accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. And if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And that last part is what I wanted to encourage others with. If you do these things like showing mercy, teaching, leading, or encouraging, doing it cheerfully. We can look at John 3.16 and see what Jesus did for us. And we can take encouragement from him, the one true gift. We are to do everything without complaining, like it says in Philippians 2.14. Jesus is the perfect example of what serving is. He laid his life down for us. And so I just want to encourage others. And this is what I got encouraged with through this reading is we are to not completely just say we're going to do these things. We need to actually have actions. Jesus died on the cross. He could have just said, I know what I need to do and not do it, but he laid his life down for us. And I want to encourage others to take action and do the things that we are gifted with, the things that we have the ability to do. Yeah, Kim, and that's that's how we can show that same love, that same selfless love that Jesus did for us. And reading here in 1 John 3, we can we can even go all the way back to the very first verse, which is such a powerful verse that I feel like I, we can't just skip over it. And it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This is where we get to the root of John's letters here in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The root of the message is love. I think that's why Kelly Minter chose to call her book on the study of these books, what love is. Because if we ever are confused about what love is, the only answer we can give is God. He is love. He is the source of love. He is the ultimate example of love in choosing to send his son to die for us. 
Why? Because of his great love for us. And how John starts the verse, see what kind of love that is. There is a Christian contemporary song called Reckless Love. And one time the song came on and my mom was here visiting and she said that she didn't really like the idea of this calling God's love reckless. And when we think about the word reckless, it's not typically a good term, but, you know, leave it to God to take something bad and turn it for good. Because within the lyrics to the song, it says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And I think when we look at it from that perspective, we can see how God choosing to love us when we were still sinners, choosing to pursue us when we're we were still enemies of his, that's pretty reckless. And in any relationship today, if a friend was pursuing someone like that, we would tell them to stop. We might even classify it as like, quote unquote, some toxic relationship. But with God, we can see why John is saying, look at this. Look at this kind of love. Come and see what great, crazy, dare we say, reckless love that God has for us. And he explains that it is because of that great love that we get the gift of being called children of God. And he ends that verse with the short but powerful statement of, and so we are. And it's a powerful statement because John here is saying, and so we are children of God. Therefore, we need to start living like it. It is because of this great love that we should be compelled to live as children of God. Just like in the previous chapter, he states that we should be living in the light, walking in the same way that Jesus walked. And now he's saying, walk as children of God. We can go all the way back to you in Genesis 1, where we are called image bearers. God created man and and male and female in his image. We're the image bearers of God. And think about it from you know, our children, they they bear our image in the sense of maybe they share similar characteristics in terms of physical characteristics or even my Everly has my homebody tendencies. And so she has that characteristic uh, from me. She is, she is an image bearer of me and we are image bearers of God. We should act in a way that shows that we are his children. And so the actions that we choose, like you said, Kim, should reflect what we have with Jesus, that same self, self-sacrificing self love and choosing to put ourselves aside for other people. And it's a foreign concept today in the society that we live in. But within this scripture, it's as if John is finding all the ways that he can say to us, be different than the world. Because he goes on in chapter three to say that the world makes it a practice and a habit of sinning. He's so bold as to say in verse 10 of chapter three, By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And that's a really bold statement because you're you're either one or the other. You're either in the world or you're not. You're with God. And so if we are going to be different than the world, then we have to make it a habit not of sinning, okay? Because obviously we will never be perfect. We're going to continue to sin. But they were making it a habit, a lifestyle of sinning. And we have to make it a habit of abiding in Christ. 
He uses those words, abide, remain. He uses them over and over again throughout this section because he's trying to make this overarching message as clear as possible that you're either in the world or you're in Christ. You're either in the light or you're in darkness. Despite what the world says, there is no gray area. There's no middle ground. We can't be on the fence. One of my husband's favorite things to say is you have to be on either one side of the fence or the other. And if you're sitting on the fence, well, guess what? Satan owns the fence. So guess whose side you're on? And I think we need this reminder today just as much as the church needed it back then. Are we in the light as he is in the light or are we walking in darkness? Are we falling prey to the narratives of new theology and are we twisting scripture to say what we want it to say? Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. We have to hold our beliefs to this standard that we find within scripture. And remember that when the world says that we're being unloving in those moments where we're standing up for truth, we cannot be more loving than God because he is love. And so any truth found in his word is therefore loving. And we can abide in that love and truth as his children. And so I found great peace in that as I read it. And I hope that it encourages you today, that something we've said today encourages you as you go through your own study. And I just want to end with the reminder that we are to remain and abide in our foundation of faith, that God is love. So therefore, we are his children. And we have a calling, that anointing, a duty to go out as set-apart people, to go out and love others and to show that love that was what Christ showed us, and to act like we are children of God. And so we hope you'll join us next week when we come back and continue on in our study of First, Second, and Third John using the, the Bible study book called What is Love by Kelly Minter. 